0: Blog Talk Radio. And live from the cafe, and also the soon-to-be-released *Searching for Roy Buchanan*. Have to go back a couple of years. I met Olivia Barrier at a library event in Carlisle, Pennsylvania. She is the author of a number of short and semi-long works that include *The World That Forgot How to Dance*, *The Bard's Choice*, *A Book Without Dragons*, and others. Worlds that merge the modern and medieval, the dystopian and somewhat idyllic, such as in another of her works, *Sisters*, *A Sorceress*, *Curses*, and *Songs*. Olivia, welcome aboard.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, I'm very happy to have you, and uh, this is going to be sort of an extension of uh, that meeting at the library, and then the subsequent talks that we've had over the last couple of years, and I I just think it's going to be something of that sort. Um, I'm going to have to dive right in with uh, Sisters of Sorceress and so forth. Let's just awesome. to this because yeah. um, from the beginning, here are two sisters, uh, Emily and Tira, sisters of some talent, but they seem very much opposites. Tell us about them and this world that you, you throw us into, like right from the beginning.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, well, sisters are both musicians, they perform together Tira on the violin, Emily on the flute. Um, their differences come in the way that they view their career. Um, Emily is more of the the serious, the very career focused. She's really interested in playing for, you know, more important patrons and continuing to grow their career and be seen as more professional and serious. Whereas Tira is, she's seen by her sister as kind of being unmotivated, but really it's more that she has different goals in life, like her, like her family and happiness and senses of well-being, like that's more important to her than being the super famous musician. Like She's happy just to be playing the violin anywhere, to anybody.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's funny, because uh, in my old band, way back at the beginning, I worked with two women very much of that. One was very serious oh, really? and role-oriented, <laughs> if I may say, and the other was mm-hmm. a bit more laid back and nonetheless talented, and um, well, one ended up leaving, but... When I started to read that, there they were, and I thought, there's an identification uh-huh. right there. Um, oh, that's cool. This, and the other thing too is their qualities are are, are well drawn, and, and the thing is though, as you say, this is not just sisterly rivalry, and right. you know it, it's really interesting, um, because they have characteristics that make both of them neither completely positive or negative, and that where did you where did the templates come from for these two ladies?
1: Um, well, I mean, it's kind of hard to say. I don't necessarily base characters off of people I know in real life. I feel like that limits the, what I can what I can do with them, how much I feel I can um, control them. But um, mm-hmm. the the seed, I think, of both of their characters. Um, was a conversation I had with a friend of mine where she was just kind of talking about her brother and how unmotivated he was and how she's like, oh, he's so talented. He could just do, he would be so successful if he would just do things and um, just kind of wondering, it's like, okay, how would that play out if if you were in a situation where it wasn't just, I'm concerned about my sibling, but also my livelihood depends on my sibling in a way because they work together. Mm -hmm. So the first thing I knew about them was that dynamic that, Emelyn kind of felt like, oh, my sister is, you know, dragging me down in this career. And Tira feels that, you know, oh, my sister is prioritizing this career over our relationship. And I'm just, you know, I'm just something that she uses in her career rather than being her sister. So once I had that settled, um, all of their other characteristics kind of grew out of that, I think.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, you take us back, when, when is this actually set? Because it sounds like a medieval time where here are performers that are playing for these wealthy patrons and
1: mm-hmm. hoping
0: to maybe get some more work and make some more money that way. Where right. you, and I've seen that before in some of the other works you've done. Where are we in this time frame?
1: Right. Um, it, it, is a, it is a completely separate world from ours. Um, but like a lot of fantasy, it does take a lot of cues from like medieval Europe um, you have like you know, the lord systems you have highborns and lowborns. borns um, mm-hmm. you know people dealing coins instead of dollars and a lot of that I mean while it is kind of a stereotypical fantasy I kind of did that on purpose because the book is so short that I needed the world to be something that fantasy readers can be like oh, okay I got this we're in a fantasy world let's go um, because I feel like if it's you know it's only a you know, hundred-page book. You don't want to spend thirty of those pages building up the world. Um, mm-hmm. Interesting factoid. I'm not sure if you were aware of this, but um, that and the Bard's Choice are actually in the same world. Ah. It's not something that's that's really addressed, but if you look really, really closely, I do mention um, uh, one crossover character, um, and and a couple other little Easter eggs in there for anyone who wants to read real close.
0: <laughs> That's cool, and Dang. the interesting thing too is um, there are some gritty characters, and I don't mean the uh, the Philadelphia Flyers mascot. I mean, um, <laughs> you know, um, there's some some pretty rough characters, such as uh, when mm-hmm. you know, like the lady who seems quite manipulative, and some of the some of the hirelings and some of their oh, questions. I had so so much
1: fun with her. She was so much fun to work with as a villain mm-hmm.
0: just because like, she, there's, there's she's, just... she's
1: not like physically intimidating you know she's she's just she's just powerful and just very very focused on what she wants and you know coming from a like she comes from like a really like really bad background where she like suffered a lot as a child and it just produced this person who just feels so entitled to all of the, the, the pain that she's causing other people and having that not mean anything to her because she feels like she's Earned this life now, so she was just she was just so much fun for me to play with.
0: There was a certain oiliness about her. Yeah, be, yeah, that's I like the that. right term, because yeah. she, she was sort of I'm, I'm I can't approximate where it would be where it would come from, but it was like in one of those old movies where uh, you would have this despotic sort of ruler that has had a horrible early life that no mm-hmm. one knows about, and then yeah. his attitude is, "It is my turn now."
1: Right. Mhm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Now, there's an interesting thing too. Uh, we were talking about it uh, earlier. I think uh, when uh, I, you may have already answered this, but filling out that mm. persona, you get to a certain yeah. point, and then I find that as I write on after creating a character, all of a sudden, as I'm writing or as I'm editing, something pops up in my mind and says, "Oh, hey, that's so and so. We better write that in."
1: Mm-hmm, definitely.
0: Count.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I like the first draft, like the first, you know, couple chapters of chapters, the first draft, like all the characters are just just as bland as can be because I really meet them through writing the story. And then it's my job to go back in subsequent edits to like, OK, let's actually give them personalities for the beginning of the mm-hmm. book. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm. And that was the thing. I often interview my characters. And as I've, I have said to you, is I like yeah. to let them talk and mm-hmm. over time if if i'm putting myself in their shoes and, and answering the questions they start to become pretty real to me and yeah. um, i think i think you talked about that a little bit of what you do yeah with
1: them. yeah yeah um I, I, like you said interviewing them is great like especially for me asking questions that have like nothing to do with the book like questions that you know that aren't related to the plot at all questions that i could ask to any character but their answers will tell me something about them like like mm-hmm. you know like i have a question that you know pops up in my in my surveys uh what would you do with a broken grandfather clock you know where you know the mm. you, the the villain she would be like you know i'd throw it out because it's worthless you know whereas kira would be like well i'd try to fix it and Emily would be like you know maybe it's worth something for parts maybe i can sell it so i mean even though like there's no grandfather clock in the story there may not be grandfather clocks in their fantasy world at all their reaction (laughs) to that tells me a lot about them and how to compare them to each other
0: Hmm. also i think um, like
1: delving into their past kind of helps too like even if it's not in the book. I'm not, I'm not very good at writing flashbacks in the book. I have trouble with the transitions. That's something you do very well, by the way. I noticed that in Moment in the Sun, you have really nice transitions between present story and then filling in that backstory. I thought that was very cool.
0: Oh, thanks. Well, that was, that was one thing, if, if, if it's for any, any aspiring writer or any author to consider. Um, I used to jump very early in my writing back and forth between mm-hmm. the here, the now, but the the before and all that, and someone had said to me, "You need to break that up." I can't even remember who this was. It was so many years ago, but they said, "Yeah, you, even even if you don't do a new chapter, they're like, you got to break it up so that we know when one scene ends and another view begins." And, right? Yeah. And so that's and the, the, that's what I try to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also noticed that you have very nice like. Like, when you read, like, the last line of the scene, you kind of know, it's like, okay, we're probably going to be jumping back even before you read the next line. You're like, oh, we're younger now. So it's like, you kind of end the scene in a way that, like, it could only go backwards from there. You could only be going back in time after that.
0: Oh, that's good. Let me say, I assume that that's good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 it's, it, it's absolutely good. Because, I mean, I don't like, you know, when I'm reading a book, like, I don't necessarily like to be confused. I mean, as much as I write confusing stuff, I – I I, th- I think it's nice to be like challenged like oh that's an interesting structure but I don't want to be wasting my emotional energy like trying to decide okay are we in the past or are we in the future so as long as when it's obvious you can just kind of you know stay with the characters
0: Mhm. Um in terms of basing characters on real people either those mm-hmm. you know or maybe even historical figures is there any view on how many or how much, or does that just come with each character or each story you do?
1: Oh man. That, I mean, it's gotta be different for each story. I mean, um, and some, some of it doesn't come out until like research, like um, uh, for, for, for a book without dragons. Um, I have a, a police officer character in there and, you know, you know, he was just, he was kind of like half formed, but then I started doing research on police officers and, you know, I saw, you know, interviews and stuff and, like So a lot of those interviews in that tone kind of pushed its way into that character. So it really, really depends on the project and what kind of research I'm doing for the character.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool. And sort of moving into a little larger question here, uh, the short mm-hmm. form seems to do really well for you now. Book Without Dragons yeah. feels like a full book to me, and 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 it. and it certainly read that way nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, Thank you. Is it your main preference for the short the short pieces, or is is that just how it comes out?
1: Uh, it's kind of just how it comes out, honestly. Like all of my short pieces, I didn't really set out to be like, oh, I'm going to write a novelette here. I always was like, oh, this would make a really cool short story, and then I would mm-hmm. write it, and it would maybe top out at about you know seven thousand, ten thousand words, and you know mm-hmm. you could just tell that you know there was. There was a little too much here for a short story. It felt, you know, it felt chunky. It felt crammed. But I knew that there wasn't enough to like. Like if I were to stretch that out into a full-length book, then the idea would just kind of get diluted, I might lose a bit of, of the charm that I wanted in the original idea. Um, mm-hmm. So it just kind of worked out that expanding it to that in like 20,000 word length um, was really effective for those stories. Mm-hmm. I think it just all has to do with that... the idea itself and what what kind of space you require to tell to tell that story to completion
0: and and there was the thing there was no limit for you or there was no minimum either which was kind of cool right
1: yeah yeah that right. is that is cool
0: now you're the first person kind of i've ever from, heard go ahead
1: go good. ahead I just that kind of comes from self-publishing that's sort of the freedom that comes with that um because i i don't know if any traditional publisher would be interested in a book of that really weird misfit length. Um, so that's kind of been really fun to be able to play with that longer than a short story, shorter than a book length.
0: And you're the first person I've ever heard use the term novelette. Is that yours or did you find that someplace else?
1: I, I would love to think that it's mine, but I'm sure I read it somewhere first. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm not sure even if that's Consider the the correct term for it. I just I, I think it fits. You know what I mean. Like I feel like if I say novelette, people are going to picture a book that's around that size. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't want to say, oh yes, I made up that word, and then find out that I had ac- <laughs> it had actually seeped into my subconscious earlier.
0: <laughs> that's cool. Um, but, in- the interesting thing too, um, th- there's the thing. The short form does work in certain ways, and I did some research uh, to get ready for this interview, and um, I think it was through your blog. There, you had a very early short piece called Ball mm-hmm. Girl. And oh, my gosh. That I, was my
1: first published piece.
0: Okay, because yeah, you that was told my very the full story in like a page yes. or two, and I was like, whoa. How about that? Thank you, thank you. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, I I do now love flash Now tell me about fiction. that story.
0: We must go there. <laughs> okay,
1: awesome. Yeah. Um, like that's obviously not the first story I've written. I've been writing since I was a kid, but that was the first story that I I got that that fabled acceptance letter back from. It was published by um, Everyday Fiction in 2007. Um, the mm-hmm. story. I mean, it, you can probably guess at the at the inspiration for it. I was a ball girl for a soccer game once, and um while I was doing it, not, not necessarily that I lived out Lisa's, you know, story in that, but as I was doing it, I'm like, wow, you know what? I didn't know anything about this, this helper position. And it's kind mm-hmm. of cool to be here. It's, it's something that, you know, I feel like you could take a lot of pride in this. So, um, but, so I was just like, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to see if I can play with that a little bit. And, and again, it was just, it was just such a Quick little idea that you know I just felt like I really didn't need much more than that
0: and it's, and it's it's true because you told the whole story. You took an innocuous person that most people would take for granted if they're watching a soccer match of any kind, mm-hmm. but there's somebody doing something that's important to the flow of the game. Because you, you right. know, they need balls, and they need they need mm-hmm. somebody to bring them. They need somebody to gather them and such. And
1: Absolutely. I just
0: the the directness of it was what got me, and that was the thing that I had noticed is, um, like for example, one of the things you do well for me anyway mm-hmm. is that there's little sometimes description of where we are, but you make it so mm-hmm. that the reader doesn't need it in Sisters, and also oh, the Barnes very. <laughs> Very much so. It was like, it's like like you said, oh, I know where I am. I kind of know what mm-hmm. time frame I'm in. I see what's going on here. And, um, right, you know, and you do the necessary thing. You take us there.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I, I do think that that's outrageously important, particularly in fantasy, because there is, it's so easy to get lost in world building. Like it is so easy to set out to write you know, a 50,000 word novel and then have, you know, 25,000 of it be just world building because, I mean, building Mm -hmm. worlds worlds is super fun, first of all, um, and you have to do a lot of world building even if it doesn't make it into the book. Um, So the tendency is to put too much of that in there. So um, I, I do try to be really conscientious of, you know, I mean I mean readers are smart. I mean readers are just they're smart fantasy readers this probably is not their first fantasy book, you know, th- there are certain things that you can hint at and they'll pick up on that and be able to fill in the rest.
0: Mhm. And the thing too is you make fantasy and modern worlds work almost hand in hand um because a book without dragons is another example of mm-hmm. where it seemed present time but you also took us ahead in time a little bit, and um, right. I guess I guess the question I have for that is: Is this evolution of your style? Do you think from from back at you know Ball Girl in 2007, is it influence? Mm-hmm. What What do you think your your growth has been like over the years?
1: Um, well, I've definitely gotten more daring, I guess, in the types of plots that that I um, that I've attempted over the years. Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, I think like, like all writers, like I had, you know, a few novels that I wrote when I was a teenager and whatever. And, you know, like, obviously the quality of the writing itself has gotten better, but I'm a lot more confident in being able to play around with, um, with, with uh, point of view changes, with just little, just experimental ideas, Um, things that, you know, kind of just shove the book off to the side a little bit. Um, and, And I love that. I love, I love the concept of experimental fiction. I, I'm excited that it's kind of becoming more of a thing in the world right now. Um, and so that, that's kind of like it's, it's a cool time to be a writer and even a reader um, because all of these just really, really interesting books are coming out.
0: Mm-hmm. What else do you see in that in that uh, genre or realm uh, for experimental fiction? What what would you look at and point to and say this is a good example of it, or maybe this is something that you were uh, either influenced or inspired by?
1: Well, I mean the the one that I always think of first because this was the first first time that I'm that I kind of really had my mind opened up to like whoa you can do whatever you want in a book and it can be amazing. Um, uh, Italo <laughs> Calvino's If on a Winter's Night a Traveler. Um, I don't know oh, if you read it, yes. but oh my God. I have. Yeah. Yes. Okay. You know what I'm talking about then? That, that book just, I read it in college. It just changed my life just, just because it's just so out there and so clever. And, um, like I remember like, like, like at the very end of the book, like I finished it and I had to like throw it against the wall cause I was so excited about it. Like that was the only way I could express my happiness. Um, but like, I, like, So so that's obviously the the first one that that jumps to mind. But um, there are so many cool things out there. Like um, there's one, which I don't think anyone knows about it, but uh, it's called Impossible Words. Um, And there's this person who wrote Flash Fiction. She wrote 25 of them. And each um, each group of five stories eliminated a vowel. And all of them only did one syllable words. So you had a story that didn't use the letter A once, and it only one syllable words, less than a thousand of them, and it told an actual story. And they were actual stories, though. I mean, it's like I bought it to be like, no way. But it, they all made sense. They were good stories. Um, wow. So that, that blew me away. So it's, it's that kind of just, you know, how, how far could we push this and still, still be entertaining in a storytelling sense?
0: Well, I'm going to have to go I only read the Cal- I've read a couple of Calvino's books. I'm going to have to get those off the shelf. I only read them about a year or two ago, and it's like, I have to go back and revisit that now. Mm-hmm. but yes, mm-hmm. I think about that, and I think um, I don't know how else to approximate it right off the top of my head in terms of it, but it's I see where you're going with that. and um, that is that is something that is really uh, intriguing and and again, you're right. It's like we can do what mm-hmm. we want. We're writing, we're writing our own stories. We can do what right. we what want with these.
1: <laughs> yep, yep, exactly. Uh,
0: exactly. Um, our guest is Olivia Barrier here on the Brown Posey Press Show, and we're talking about her various works, including Sisters, A Sorceress, Curses, and Songs, The Bard's Choice, A Book Without Dragons, and. Yes, I want to get to the bard's choice because okay. um, I see this in my own writing and with yours the same thing. Mm-hmm. There are themes of music, but also dance and magic. And the bard's choice yeah. um, that reminds me quite a bit of uh, sort of I think of I think of sort of Norse magic because I had a a close friend who was a, a mentor of mine who called himself a bard because well he was mm-hmm. quite a poet and writer and cool. it just led me into that and i found it also interesting about the the those themes those obviously have something to do with your own background because of where you went to school and it must have gone a ways further back too
1: you mean like the just the, the flavor of it or yes yes yeah um, a lot. I mean, a lot of that has to do with you know the kind of books that that I read. Like, I mean, like they say write what you know, but I think what they really mean is you know write what you love. Write the types of books that excite mm-hmm. you the most. And those are the types of fantasy books that you know I I just fell in love with. You know, and just you just lost yourself in those those worlds that are you know just just a little gritty. You know, it's you know it's it's, it's not all princesses and castles. You know, I I, I love you know street. People, you know, who are, you know, really working and, you know, really, um, like taking pride in their careers and having those careers mm-hmm. be something completely different than the kind of careers that we have today. Um, so a lot of a lot of it comes from that. Um, I do love like like Celtic culture a lot. Um, I think I think that's all very very beautiful. And I mean, medieval culture is just I mean it's just flat out fun. I mean I think. A lot of being fantasy writers, like it's kind of just an excuse to just play around with all medieval things because, I mean, that's just kind of the 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 romantic idea of it, you know? Like, you know, it's like oh, knights and the dresses they wore, and you know, it it, it just all it just all feels very 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 pure, I guess.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Very divorced yes. from the from from the, the the industrial kind of nature of today's world.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, that's true, and it's and yet at the same time, you you don't make it. You know, the fairy tale existence doesn't completely exist for a lot of these folks. The bard's choice mm-hmm. is sort of a, the old cautionary tale of be careful what you wish for because of mm. this magical stone and what it does. Right, that in yeah. itself was really um, it, it, it. It's sort of like it's almost like the ring. It's like the yeah. the ring. <laughs> As as Gandalf said in paraphrase to Frodo, it is this thing is completely corruptible, and it is mm-hmm. corruptive of the one who has it, and and the the stone seems to have a lot of that. Well, it might get you what you want, but is it what you really want? Mm-hmm.
1: Right? Is yeah, it, definitely. Um, like the the idea for that one actually came like from you know I I think I had just read a. Oh, maybe a Dean Coon's novel or something, so, something where a substantial part of it was told from the point of view of the villain. And I'm like, Oh, that's very cool. And my first thought was, you know, Oh, what if you had a story where it was entirely told by the villain and the villain was the main character. Um, but then I thought, he's like, Oh, well, if the villain's the main character for the whole thing, how would that work? And like, Oh, what if they stop being the main character halfway through, which begs the question, why do they stop being the main character? And I'm like, okay, well, maybe there's something that transfers and after it transfers and story kind of built
0: itself around that Mm-hmm. and it's uh there's a lot of these interesting themes that, that that just sort of run through your work i we're thinking of thinking of these two that we talk about and also not to bounce around too much but uh the world that forgot mm-hmm. how to dance was another that intrigued me it's a world mm-hmm. where dancing is is banned but not for the reasons people might think you you opened up some more right. doors
1: right now, how did yeah that <laughs> That one um that one was ha- had not not quite as, as interesting as an origin story. like the idea started with you know i just I, I went to a a, a very very artistic school, we had a lot of dance majors, I went to you know performances. I don't personally dance, but I love watching other people dance because there is a very a very real kind of magic I think that happens through dance, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. you know as a writer, I'm like, oh, well, what if there was actually magic that happened? while someone was dancing. Um, So, you know, once I had that thought in my head, okay, like, okay, you dance and it creates a spell. All spells are, you know, caused by dancing. Okay. Once I had that, it was like, okay, well, that in itself isn't a story. Where can I build some conflict into that? And um, which is why I decided it's like, okay, well, what if you're not allowed to dance because of the magic where it's not necessarily, you know, it's like, Oh, we don't want dancing. It's we don't want magic. And, this is how magic happens. Therefore you can't do that anymore.
0: Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. And it was very interesting too, because you had such polar opposites, Elwine and Lester. Uh, Lester in particular looks like such a creature and yet that's a deception.
1: <laughs> right. Where yeah. Did they, how yeah. did they come in? Yeah. Uh, Lester was as, as much of a surprise to me <laughs> as he was to everyone else in the book, honestly. Um, because, you know, Honestly, I didn't really plan on him being a main character. It was just kind of like, you know, I I knew I wanted to open up, you know, in a jail cell just because the idea of, you know, this really, you know, sweet, obviously very well-meaning, you know, dancer girl being in a jail cell for dancing. That was just a really interesting image to me that I wanted to open with. But you can't just have a character sitting in a jail cell by herself being sad. So I thought, you know, having, you know, kind of like a snarky cell neighbor that she could banter with, I thought maybe that would be cool but like as i was writing that scene i'm like this guy is actually pretty interesting um so i kind of just decided mm-hmm. i wanted to stick with him a little bit longer and um you know see see where that see where that goes like in the original in my original outline which i hardly followed at all um the other girl denise she was actually going to be the main the the, the secondary character of the story and her role got toned down a lot when lester turned out to be so interesting
0: and yeah, it's like it's like you you come up with this character, and then as as we say that they, they write themselves in a way.
1: Um, yeah, I had very very little to do with, with Lester's formation. He just kind of he just kind of showed up really. Like I like I worked a lot at 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 Elsie, and you know coming up with what her traits were and what her backstory was. Why does she love dancing? You know how did she start dancing? You know like I, I really did work at her, and Lester just kind of happened, which is lovely and fun when it happens that way.
0: Mm-hmm. And there's a thing about a lot of these worlds as uh, it, it, it's, you're looking for a certain, it seems you're looking for a certain kind of one. And is it the one you see when you're, when you're creating this, or is it the one you would like to see?
1: That's, yeah. I mean, like, obviously, I mean, each world is going to have its flaws. Like, I'm not going to write, you know, the utopia, but I mean, there are going to be elements in the world that it's like, man, I kind of wish that was something I, I kind of wish that that was ours like i mean you know i'm a I'm, I'm, you know, you typical fantasy writer you know i wish we had magic in our world i think that'd be pretty cool um and even in the even in the science fiction book i mean obviously things get kind of crappy after a while but there is a section in the middle where things are pretty awesome um i had someone describe the book in a review as an optimistic dystopia and i really liked that like that wasn't necessarily what i was went out intention to write but i feel like that kind of nails what it is i did end up creating was a a an optimistic dystopia
0: well it, well i like if, you know a book without dragons it's like i i it's fantastic because the warning says this book contains no dragons
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> i have that conversation with so many whenever i go to conventions um, the title of that book, people will be walking by they'll be like, a book without dragons? Because it's a Comic Con. Like, 95% of the people there want dragons. And then they'll pick up the book, they'll look at the back, it'll say, this book contains no dragons. And they'll kind of just give me this fly look and be like, but it really has dragons, right? I'm like, no, no, it doesn't. I can't be any clearer about that. There are no dragons in that book.
0: Well, there was a period um, some years ago before I self-published my first book, where I was looking over some of the things that I had written and and not getting a publisher, not getting an, even an agent or anything. And I suddenly had what I thought was the revelation, which was, mm-hmm. I know why nobody wants to take on my books.
1: Mm-hmm. There
0: are no vampires.
1: <laughs> you know, that you know is very accurate. <laughs> It, that's
0: the way it felt it was like and it's like there right. are no zombies either and I'm like I'm sorry mm-hmm. just don't do this right.
1: <laughs> right it's like okay I have two options I could add vampires to the book which I don't want to do or I could go my own <laughs>
0: <life>. <laughs> yeah and, and so it becomes sort of like okay uh, well that was the thing someone said to me it says well then just make the main character turn into a vampire and I'm like
1: uh, it's
0: <laughs> not like it's like, not as easy. As
1: that's that. not really right. the story I was trying to tell. <laughs> well,
0: the your your friend's comment about the book, the dystopian elements of it and the optimism, I did yeah. see that very strongly. Mm-hmm. Um Willow Air's uh and his creation and
1: mm-hmm. what
0: you do have here is something that maybe it's maybe it's something that's been read upon or, or written upon elsewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. We have a sci-fi story that seems almost possible, because you use existing science and then unitime is created, right, yeah. which that got my head to spin a little bit because I was trying to think mm-hmm. how's an entire world run on the same clock, and, right? And that yeah. really, but but that also kept me reading, which I also was really cool for, yeah. You
1: know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Now I was, I was very adamant when I started off because like like sci-fi isn't necessarily my wheelhouse, like I definitely write more fantasy than sci-fi. So I knew if I was going to tackle it, I had to do it very, very carefully. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I was really cognizant of not wanting to make things too outlandish. Like I didn't want flying cars. I didn't want, you know, like, I, like, cause I mean, like technology, like it, it, it progresses, but it never progresses as fast as you think it's going to. Um, right. Like, you know, like, like you look at the back, you look at back to the future and see all the things we were supposed to have. And then we didn't have them. Um, so mm-hmm. I thought it's like okay, well, what small advances could we have made since then? Um, mm-hmm. and, and so that's why the world I think feels very, very, very close to our own, even though it is a little bit in the future.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's interesting too. Again, with characters, um, one of the things that that sometimes happens with with certain Books, and it, it happens with, with television programs or whatever. Sometimes the main character just comes off as a little too good or a little too perfect, but Willow uh, is a guy who is so clearly flawed. She is. Isn't contrived. And <laughs> yeah. Yet, he was probably the most intriguing of all of the characters that I've come oh, across. And, thank and, and, you.
1: And, thank you so much.
0: Where does <laughs> it makes me happy. I it? love and, Willow. Well, and and there's so much. It's like there's there's a lot to like about him, and at the same time, you you pity him a little because it's like mm-hmm. here's a brilliant mind, and look what he's done.
1: Right. And you begin to yeah. realize
0: what he's done as the story goes on. Where did how right. did Willow come about? Because I'm I'm always fascinated by where these people come out of.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, well, well, this. I mean, this is definitely a story that had the idea first and then I found the characters to to create that idea. So it started with the idea of, you know, clocks being wrong and then, you know, everything else being mm-hmm. tied to that. And so, 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 I mean, it more became a question of who would be the kind of person who would make it their life's work to make this perfect technology um, thing that's going to fix the world. Like, yeah, he, he has a very, very, very strong desire to like see, see humanity reach that perfect utopia. He's very, very idealistic. Um, So I kind of built him off of that. Um, And once I started with that, like, I – I mean, that that was kind of the first thing I knew about him. Uh, You know, the second thing I knew about him was, you know, it's like, oh, well, you know, he's probably a little antisocial. You know, he's used to being, you know, just kind of, you know, working with his computer or a small team. He's not used to talking to a lot of people, so that showed up. But I felt like I really – met him when I discovered that he liked fantasy novels like to me that was really kind of the door into that character is that you know even though he's a scientist even though he's you know he's super smart and you know he's all into technology and everything um, that's what he loves most is very is is, you know simple good escapism fantasy fiction Mm -hmm. so to to Mm -hmm. me that was where I was like okay I I know who this guy is
0: Mm mm-hmm and it's the it, the the other thing too that really works is again with the character development. We see, you know, like the like the like the police officer who's got mm-hmm. his own sort of thing going, some of the strange neighbors, um mm-hmm. the waitress who's just, yes.
1: just
0: you just put that poor girl through hell.
1: <laughs> I really did. I really really did. Um I like I I probably spent more time working with Zabby than any other character, just because whenever you're dealing with writing a domestic violence situation, like, that mm-hmm. has to be handled very, very carefully. You know, it, it needs mm-hmm. to be done in such a way that it's respectful to the people who, you know, who have been through that. And, you know, I wanted it to be kind of a um, – not, not using it – like, I, I didn't want to use it as a plot device to get the character attention. You know what I mean? Like, I needed it to be something that – Maybe my might make people you know think about this in a way they hadn't before. Or so I did a ton of research on that and watching you know testimonials online and hmm. I mean, it, it was a really it, it was a very very humbling and very um, difficult emotional research period for me honestly um, because the things that some of these people went through are just incredible and the strength that they had to get out of that is just so admirable um, that I really wanted to do that justice through this character.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you certainly have given. Uh, and, and the other thing, too, is it's like when, you know, it, it's never so much the happy ending. There is an ending of sorts, but there's also the open door kind of thing of, well, where are mm. we going to go from here? And, yeah. and I've always tried to do that. I, I can't do a hard and fast ending. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I need to leave the door open because life doesn't stop at the end of right. the story, you know, mm-hmm. and, it, and you have to leave it, you leave the door ajar just enough to be like, well, what could happen next? You know, could there be another? Right, that right, sort exactly.
1: Of thing? Like, like you yeah. do get the feeling that, okay, these characters are going to keep living after this. You know, this is not the end of their troubles, you know. Um, but at the same time, it's like, mm-hmm. you know, but it is important to have that medium where it's not like, you don't, you don't leave, the, leave the, the, the poor reader being like, oh my gosh, I just read 200 pages and I don't even know what happens in the end. Um, so, yeah, I, I definitely agree with that that analogy, leaving the door ajar just a little.
0: Mm-hmm. Our guest is Olivia Barrier, who is the author of a number of uh, short and semi-long books, uh, such as Sisters, A Sorceress, Curses, and Songs, and also A Book Without Dragons here on the Brown Posey Press Show. Now, Olivia, I'd like to ask also about uh, mm-hmm. your beginnings, because uh, what makes an author often starts at the beginning of life? Tell us a little bit about your growing up. Uh, what was it like for you?
1: Sure. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of my my creativity um, and storytelling abilities come from uh, the games that I used to play with my with my younger sister Victoria. We played these okay. really like crazy elaborate games. And it wasn't until I grew up that I realized that most people don't play like this. Our games were basically like movies that we would revisit. Like we would Mm -hmm. have the same characters. They would do the same things, but we would just play through it again. And that was the game. Um, And a lot of them were just bizarre, kind of like some of them were dark. I remember once um, we were playing a game and my parents were normally like, oh, the kids are playing. But once my dad was like, kind of like paid attention to what we were talking about. And then he's like, wait, what are you guys playing? You know, explain the concept of your game to me. And we did. And he's all like, that's a Dean Koontz novel. <laughs> so we had like independently rewritten Dean Kuntz for our game. Um, wow. But yeah, so, so a, yeah. So a lot, a lot of that, I, I think fed into me wanting to be a writer and, and keep making up those, those games that instead of, you know, playing myself or with characters, now I'm playing with characters on a page. Um, as far as the actual writing, I, honestly have been writing as long as I can remember. I, I, every so often, like, we'll find something around the house, like a little, like a little book that Olivia wrote when she was like five and it'll be like, you know, an inch tall. And, um, it'll be like, there was a horse, but then it rained, but the horse got under a cave and it was all right. The end, you know, so like the, so, so it started very, very early. Um, and I had a lot of support with that growing up. You know, it was always kind of like, "Oh, look, Olivia wrote a book." You know, rather than it's like, "That's real stupid." So um, I think that. I had well, that's A lot, that's of, good. A, lo- a lot of support with that growing up.
0: <laughs> I, were your Were your parents readers? Were they avid readers?
1: Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, like, my dad, my dad's more of a. You know, a historical fiction, uh, mystery mm-hmm. kind of person, whereas my mom likes more of the, the fantasy kind of stuff. So, I mean, there was a good mix with that. Um, I also got a lot of support from my teachers, actually. Um, I, all, all throughout elementary school, um, I remember I, I was going through some old papers once, and I found, um, like, the first day of third grade, maybe, and the teacher was like, you know, you know, write me a paragraph and tell me about yourself. And I wrote to her, I am interested in writing stories and poems and in that sentence I misspelled interested writing stories and poems all four major words in that were misspe- were, were misspelled and I am just so grateful that the teacher didn't like you know say lol maybe try something else because that would have been a legitimate thing to say it, to to a sentence like that but um, but but they always were encouraging me
0: I think I did something I I, like that in junior high school for one of my teachers in an effort for her to yeah. get to know us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not. I I know what I wrote and I didn't mean it in the way that I wrote it, but she <laughs> took me aside and said, "Are you all right?"
1: <laughs> and I was that like That sounds like something you would do. <laughs> yeah,
0: and like,
1: is I was like okay, man? I'm like
0: well, and, of course, if, if I'd written I, – I, I think I wrote – I was writing mostly about the fact that I had rather – well, being a kid, I had a kid's sense of humor, but I also had a slightly dark sense of humor at the time. Mm. I still I do. That started early. And, and I guess that shook her up a little bit, and then she had to ask me about this about weird kid in, weird class. Kid in and class, and that was, like, was like, oh, I've done, it, I now. done it now. That's awesome. But, um, um, but yeah, I guess, I guess that was just something that happened, but I guess yeah. When, so in all of your life, you've done this and, um, when did you come to the decision that, that it was time to self-publish or, or how you found the independent method worked?
1: Well, um, honestly, uh, it was around, I guess, 2014 up until that point, it had always kind of, I, I just kind of been kind of told, you know, my whole life is like, if you want to get published, you do it through an agent, you do it through a publisher period. So I'd never yep. really considered it. Um, so what happened was I was shopping around a book without dragons. Right. And um, I actually had um, a publishing company interested in it, which was like, Oh my gosh, it's happening. Um, so, you know, as, that was happening my mind was like oh my gosh how am i going to market this and my first thought was oh i have that dancing short story what if i like serialize that on my blog and then like put it out Mm -hmm. as a a chat book on my own maybe that'll create buzz or whatever so i kind of just had that in the back of my mind um not even really thinking of it as self-publishing which it was um but then in the meanwhile i heard back from the publishing company and they were saying okay we definitely want to publish your book but you need to make these changes. And one of the changes is we need the book to be in a consistent um, point of view, tense, and style. And, Mm. I mean, you've read the book, you know that that's kind of the whole point of the book. Um, So when I told them, like, that's not a change I'm willing to make, then they told me that we couldn't sign the contract. Um, So at the time, I still had it out to, like, a couple other publishing companies. And, you know, I kind of just made a deal with myself that, okay, if I get a no back from those three places that I have it out, then I'm just going to do this myself because, you know, I I understand that this book is not necessarily super mainstream. Like I know that the tenth shifting is not everyone's cup of tea, but I feel like for the people who do want a book like this, I think they're going to really, really want this book. And I don't want it to Mm -hmm. be made to be more mainstream and made to be less of what it is. Um, And I just kind of found myself one day, hoping that I would open my email and see a rejection so that I could go on with self-publishing. And mm-hmm. that was just kind of the moment that I'm like, okay, if I'm literally hoping for a rejection, then this is obviously something that I want to do, you know, not even just like, oh, this is my last resort. Like, this is something that I would really like to experience. Um, so I withdrew the submission from those three places and, and started reading a whole lot of blogs.
0: hmm and you um, must have done a lot of research in terms of, okay, who should I work with to help me self-publish? Because mm-hmm. my first book was self-published. Parasite Girls was done yeah. with Create Space or what, whatever mm-hmm. it is called now. And yeah. it was easy enough to do. Um, I mean, the formatting was a pain, but other than that, yeah. um, it seemed easy enough. But what work, What did you look through and, and how did you arrive at, at the decision you did? Because I think you said you used 48-hour books or something of that sort.
1: I did. Yeah. Um, that decision in the beginning was purely based on trim size, honestly, because, mm-hmm. um, book without dragons is about 64,000 words, which
0: to put in comparison,
1: most novels are like 80,000. So I knew it was going to yep. be shorter than the average book. So I was just really, really terrified of the book coming out and it being like really, really short and floppy looking. And I was worried that it would kind of just look off putting to readers. So I'm like, oh, well, it's, it was a little bit smaller, the cover then, you know, it would look thicker, you know, and I knew there were smaller books, I could see them on my shelf, but at the time, um, CreateSpace wasn't offering that trim size, the smallest trim size they offered at that time was 5x8,
0: and I knew Mm -hmm. that I
1: wasn't going to be able to make that work, Um, but then I did find 48-hour books, and they offered a um, 4.25x7 trim size, which, you know, was perfect, like, I could find books that were that size on my shelf, you know, and I... Estimated their word lengths, and so I could estimate the page lengths, and you know that was perfect. Um, it's it's kind of forty eight hour books is a bit of a it's a different kind of publishing company because it doesn't do any distribution. Like when you mm-hmm. order books from them, you literally go there and they ship you a box of your books, and then you are the person who owns all of your books. um right. So, like in order for them people to buy them online, them up online and ship them out to people yourself. So it is a little bit of extra work. Um, but they it, it it you do get them for a little bit cheaper if you buy a lot of them, um and they, and honestly they did a pretty good job for me like the quality of the binding was very good, um yeah. the customer service was very easy to work with so so yes yeah, so I've worked with them from some subsequent publications as well.
0: Hmm. Well, what is uh, going to be next for you? What What is the next? You We've talked about some of the things that you've. Uh, got in mind is, is is there a next project on the way kind of thing
1: oh man i'm it's i'm I'm so scared to say something and then change my mind later because i've changed my mind several times because i have so many irons in the fire but um the projects that i have that are kind of closest to the service right now i have a collection of uh 15 short stories that all have the same five characters in it um, so I, I'm working on revising that right now. I'm not sure when that's going to be publication ready, but um, I think that when it is, it's going to it's it's going to be a really good fit for anyone who's liked the experimental type things that I've done before. Um, mm-hmm. And then I also have a uh, a fantasy murder mystery that's um, in the revision stages as well. So I'm hoping to work on the short story collection for most of this year. Maybe dive in for a revision. Of that, um, of that, at the end of the year. Um, I am also, in the meantime, because both of those are longer projects, probably at least a year, uh, maybe two years from being out. Um, I do have another uh, novelette in the work, still kind of in the draft stage right now. Um, mm-hmm. But it's called Counting Boy. It's it's a bit, it's kind of it's, it's a bit darker, kind of a creepier, more apocalyptic sort of world. Um, so so th- th- that's. That would likely be on the shelves before either of those two other projects.
0: Okay. Now, one of the other things, uh, we've talked about events uh, to get out there, and uh, uh, we're going to be uh, seeing each other in Cleveland not too long from now.
1: We are. I'm so excited about that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, you told me about Cleveland Concoction, and you sold me on the idea. But uh,
1: Mm -hmm. for those
0: who don't know or who might be in the area in March, what is it like, and what am I getting myself into?
1: Yeah. Okay. Um, Cleveland Concoction. I mean, it it it, it is a Comic Con, but it's definitely more focused on the writing side of things than, um, you know, anime and you know, Star Wars and stuff like that. Like you do still have that, but um, it has a whole bunch of panels, which is kind of like the funnest part about it. Is you have panels on all these different. Aspects of writing like if you want to go to a panel all about how to create a good villain There's a panel for that there's a panel for just flash fiction. There's a panel for um, There's a there's a not safe for work panel where it talks about you know, like you know sex and violence What's too much you know, so it's just a whole bunch of really varied um, deep dives into the writing process and um, The authors that are there. There's normally about like say maybe 20 30 authors So you get a different mix of them in each of the panels so um, you'll get to sit on some of those panels. Perhaps we'll even be on the same panel. That would be awesome. And um, and then in a in a separate room they have all of the author books for sale, which I really like that setup. Honestly, like every other convention I've been to, you kind of have your own table. People walk around, they talk to you, they look at your table. But um, in this place, it honestly feels just a little bit more like a like a very small bookstore where convention goers goers can just kind of walk in. And see, here are the books of all of the people who are speaking here today. All sales are handled in the same place. And then you can take them, take the books and get the authors to sign them. So it's, it's a, it's a different feel. It's a very, it's a very cozy feel. And they have other, other stuff there. If anyone's, if, if anyone listening is into like gaming, they have a fantastic game room there, like, you know, where you can learn how to play something new or enter a competition for something old. So it's, it's it's fun. La- um, last year they had uh, also some live music. The Harp Twins, who were amazing, It's exactly what it sounds like—pair of twins who play the harp. But oh my gosh, they were just oh they were just so good. Um, actually cornered them afterwards I and mean, be like, hey, how would you like to talk to me about being sisters and working as musicians together? Because that would be so <laughs> relevant to me. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's cool. It's it's a fun time. It really is.
0: Well it sounds like it will be, and I'm I'm looking forward to it for certain. Now we might ask where can people find your work, uh, online or elsewhere? Well,
1: um they can find it obviously through through Amazon. Uh The Bard's Choice is actually um going to be up on Audible uh hopefully by the end of February. Um this is my first time with an audiobook production, so that's very, very exciting for me. So that's gonna be available soon. Um Uh, book ebooks and paperbacks are available through Amazon I also uh, run an Etsy page uh, barrier books um, and I sell hard copies of my books through there in case anyone wanted to buy a book with an inscription in it because if you buy it on Amazon obviously I, I don't get a chance to touch it before it gets to you but if you buy it on Etsy you can just make a note of like oh hey can you make this out to Samantha and I can write you a nice little inscription and sign the book before I mail it to you so that's that's also there as an option
0: all right Well, last question for you, Olivia, what advice Mm -hmm. would you give to someone who's got that story idea, maybe it's already written, what do they do next, what's that next step that they might be afraid to take?
1: Right, yeah, I mean, like the, I mean, I think probably the scariest thing when you're at that stage is finding someone to show it to, because, you know, up until then, you know, it's just, it's yours, it's your baby, it's no one else's, and as soon as you give it to someone else, you know, there's, it, there's just so much apprehension, like, oh, what if they don't like it? Um, so it's it, it, it's tricky finding who you want your first beta reader to be. I guess my advice for that is to find someone who really, really understands you as a person, because writing is just mm-hmm. it's so close to your soul that if they you know really understand you as a person, chances are they're going to be able to to see it see what it is you were trying to say in your writing. Because I mean, the goal is obviously not to churn out a perfect book on the first try, no one does that. Um, mm-hmm. So your first round of beta readers are basically to be able to say, okay, here's what you created, here's what's inside of it that's you know that needs to be polished up to the surface, and then then you can take that from there, take that feedback, and start working on it into what, what it what it was meant to be, what it, what its full potential is. Um, so y- yes, I guess that would be my advice: is to just find someone who really really understands you to be that first beta reader for you. All
0: mm-hmm. All right. Well, Olivia Barrier, thank you so much for being on the program. And I look forward to sitting across from you again and having more talks like these.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much. This was so much fun.
0: <laughs> cool. Our guest on the Brown Posey Press Show has been Olivia Barrier, author of Sisters, a Sorceress, Curses, and Songs, and numerous other works. I'm Tori Gates, author of the Brown Posey releases A Moment in the Sun, Live from the Cafe, and the soon-to-be-released Searching for Roy Buchanan. This is the Speak Network. <laughs>